you will, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. God was good to us last week. We had a house full plus, and I will say this to you, um, the deacons and I are, are in prayer and talks about how to make more space. We're going to do that, and, uh, um, and we'll bring a report to you. But God has been good to us with, the, with so many people. I told you last week that uh, prayer is our base, and, and there are some 50 people or so who decided to sign up for, to be part of the prayer ministry, men who signed up to be part of Mighty Men. Uh, I ask you, how many times this week did you call your pastor's name in prayer? Call your church family's name in prayer. We must be we must be praying. Prayer warriors that that'll be that group that Lauren actually started, and we've added two this week. And, and there should some there should be something every week that we pray about. It shouldn't just be about toes and nose and organs and cancer and all of that. There should be some spiritual things there. So let's pray. I know that the email group received one email. And this week should have gotten another one, but we did did not. We will get that to you. And I'm just going to have to say this to you. If we're going to do anything of consequence, if we're going to do anything of spiritual consequence for eternity, um, it's going to be birthed in prayer. Last week we began this um, series on being what Jesus died for. Being what Jesus died for. And last week was prayer. So if you click that one more time, Todd, I just want to remind you as we connect the dots, is that we started with prayer that leads to worship, worship that leads to evangelism, evangelism to discipleship, discipleship to fellowship, fellowship to ministry. And when we get those six in order, Brother Pud and I are working on our mission endeavors. But make no mistake, this is connecting the dots today. I'm speaking on, on number two today is worship. In America today, in fact, around the world, there are very few things that have the, have the potential impact as worship. We stay inside the church. It can change us. But I want to say this to you. My goal is not to make you mad, but if I do, you come talk to me because I've dug it out of years' experience of reading the Word, doing what Brother Eric did for almost 20 years. Here's what I want to say to you. Whereas worship has the potential of great impact, there is nothing as confusing as worship in America today. I mean, in America, the church, for too long, we, people have told me that Church has, uh, worship has service has two different parts, the song service and the preaching service. And as a music director, I was told this more than once, hurry up and get the preliminaries out of the way so we can get to the main event. Now, I want to say this to you. There is nothing, that, nothing more important than the spoken word, and the spoken word should be the pinnacle of the event. But you need to make no mistake. Please listen, brothers and sisters. Our corporate worship 
begins when you walk in the door. And corporate worship is not a spectator sport. Corporate worship means that we walk in and and we honor our Lord with our voice, with our souls, with our minds, with all that we are. And here's what I'm telling you. Prayer that leads to worship. If you really want your time of corporate worship to really take on a new dimension, spend some time on Sunday morning praying before you get here. Prayer is the secret. We want God to show up. We have to talk to Him. You know, there's a lot of folks who who talk about worship. I, Brother Eric and I were having lunch, what, Wednesday this week? And uh, um, I was talking to him about the first time that I sat through a worship seminar, a worship leadership seminar, how to draw people into worship back in 1979 and 1980. There's a lot of folks talking about worship today. But you know what I want to say to you? Few people have invested themselves enough to know what worship really is. There are people who have never studied about what the Bible teaches and demonstrates about worship who think they have all the answers for it. And here's what I want to say to you. In Scripture, there are many places where worship is uh, modeled and the word term worship is never used. First picture that comes to my mind is Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Boy, he had a time of worship. Brent, he wound up on his face. And you know what he did when he got on his face? He was so convicted by the presence of God that he said, "Uh, I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am undone. That was conviction. And he said, not only me, but I run with a whole bunch of people that are just like. Because you see, then he didn't see himself in light of others. He saw himself in light of a holy God. When we get into the presence of God in this building, in your prayer closet, when we get into the presence of God, we become keenly aware of our sinfulness. I think of Revelation chapter 1. Now now catch this. John, the beloved, John, the disciple, John, the one who literally leaned on Jesus' shoulder in the upper room. He got a vision of the translated Jesus, of the holy and high Jesus. This is the same guy that he had sat on the table and felt very comfortable with. But you know what he did? He fell on his face as dead. And he worshipped The examples in the Bible are endless. I'll give you, Louis Giglio wrote a book entitled The Air I Breathe. Go ahead there, Todd. I think i got a quote here. And this is what he says. He says, worship is our response to both both personally and corporately to God for who he is, for what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say. And the way we live. Let me run around this just for a second. Because I want us to see how it impacts the church. We all know that the church is not the building. Do I have everybody good with that? Give me a nod. Church is not the building. This is the church house. This is where the church gathers. What I'm looking at is the church. Is the church. We are the church gathered and 
In a couple of hours, I love saying that, we'll be the church scattered. It won't be a couple of hours, guys. Just it'll be all right. We'll be the church scattered. In fact, I will probably at some point, we will probably at some point get those little signs and put on the exits of our parking lot that says you are now entering the mission field of New Hope Baptist Church. Because when we drive off this lot, we are now in our mission field. But when we come together, we come together as a church. But in the Scripture, by the way, the Bible, I know you've heard this, but I'm going to say it to you again. This book will keep you away from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. The Bible teaches us about the church, and and in the Bible, a lot of times the caricature of a church is seen in a woman. I mean, we know that it's the bride of Christ. We know we call the church her. But let me just give you a couple of examples of how the la- some ladies in the Bible identify the church. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 15, the woman had ten coins and she lost one. And what did she do? She lit the candles. She swept the floor. She cleaned the place in search of that one coin. And you know what that is? That's the church going after lost people. That's church going after people that has strayed away. That's the church seeking and finding. That's our job. You can go back to the Old Testament, and you see Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Don't be offended. Rahab worked into the lineage. You can go to Matthew chapter 1. She is listed in the lineage of Jesus. Rahab... When the chips were where she needed to play them, you know what she did? She protected God's people. She covered God's people. In the time of Joshua, she brought them into her house. And it's a sign of the church protecting and covering God's people in Rahab. You can get to Proverbs 31. Sometimes I'll preach that because I find a little humor in Proverbs 31 as it talks about the lady. But here's what you discover as far as the church goes. She's a virtuous woman, and she's working for her bridegroom. That's the church. How about Gomer? You didn't want me to mention Gomer, did you? Gomer and Hosea. You remember God called Hosea to to go take a wife who was un who was immoral. And she chased her other lovers even while they were married. And it's a picture. Please listen, don't miss this. The spiritual picture is a church who has decided to chase other gods. You can read more about those things in Revelation too. Makes other things their gods. But today in Mark We're going to read about a woman altogether that teaches us about worship. If you will, go ahead and turn to Mark 14. You can move that forward, Todd. Mark 14. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. And this is a church. She is representing a church who adores her Lord, who honors him as her bridegroom. And she worships him authentically. I don't think this message is going to be what some people thought it's going to be because it's going to challenge our hearts. I'll invite you, if you can and will, to stand if you found Mark chapter 13, 14. Excuse me. Let's follow along while I read. This is indeed God's 
holy word. And while he, that is Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For, the, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in the moments that remain, I pray that you will unpack your word and open our hearts. I pray that we will not be haunted by preconceived notions. I pray that we will not be haunted by the evil one who does not want us to come and worship you with our best. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room, and there may be one that doesn't know you in a personal way. Oh, they've been a church member for years, but Lord, I pray that today you'll open their hearts through this thing of worship and help us encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I want us to look at this woman. I want us to see what she did. I want us to see how she was received. I want us to recognize that without holding back, she gave everything she had to Jesus and leaves us the greatest picture of worship that we can imagine. I want to say this to you. Are you listening? Worship can be the most powerful thing on earth. We come together and authentically worship Him. Should there be a lost person to come in and He sees us worshiping unabandoned, passionately, a God whom we believe in, it has a powerful impact. At the same time, when they see us, when they come in and they see us just kind of go through the motions, they think, 
Well, that God must not be much at all. So what I want to do is I unpack this. I want to to unpack it with just three or four thoughts. First of all, I begin with the object. The object of worship. I'll emphasize this two times in the text. Because it's so important. It's so critical in America. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again and I'll say it till it changes. The most broken of the Ten Commandments is commandment number one. No other God before me. No other God beside me. And you go, what are you talking about, Brother Jerry? I am just telling you, the list is enormous. We could be here to 2 o'clock just making a list. Excuse me. It can be money. It can be power. It can be prestige. It can be popularity. It can be traditions. It can be institutions. It can be hobbies. It can be sports. It can be music. It can be anything. But when we come into worship here, there should be only one object. When you look at this lady who many are, when you look at this lady who many believe to be a prostitute, you learn lessons. You see what she does in this encounter, and we learn a lesson. Let me just tell you that she, she probably wore around her neck this flask. The Bible says it's pure. Nard. That flask was like her dowry. We don't understand it, ladies. You should be thankful to Jesus for the way He's changed the culture. In those days, this dowry, this expensive dowry, 300 denarii, be $100 at least today. This was how she would get a man. This is how she would get a husband. If you take me, you can have the money from this. Hundred dollars went a long way back then. Y'all got it? Let me tell you what this was. This was a display of her life. This was a display of her life. Go ahead, Todd. You see, this was all she was. This is all she had. It may not have been all she had, but it was the best she had. It was it was the thing that was going to give her a future. The truth is, is that she seems to be known in the room by her background. It's my belief that all four Gospels speak on this. They speak differently. John writes it a different way. Uh, Luke writes it a different way. But I think it's the same event. The truth is, she came and her worship, I want you to hear this, Her worship was, this is me. I have nothing to give you of any substance. Would you accept this? Her life was represented by just a flask of perfume. Pure. She brought it to Jesus. But it not only was a display of her life, it was a display of her love. I want to mention this two or three times because I want us to get this point. What did she do with this thing that that was her life? 
she didn't just take the top off of it like we would have done, Jason, and poured a little bit over his head, put the top back on it, hung it back around her neck, and called it good enough. She didn't take the top off of it, dude. You know what she did? She broke it. She crushed it. She brought everything she had to him. She wanted him to have everything about her. That's her act of love. That's her act of worship. Her tears, as we're told. Her humility as she was behind him. Her attitude were so deeply emotional that it touched the very heart of Jesus. And I'm going to suggest this to you. Like the bottle was broken, so was she. Her love for Jesus so overflowed, so filled the room. It was just like that fragrance that Luke talks about. The fragrance filled the room. Her love filled the room for Jesus. Have you ever had that kind of love? For Jesus, and we love a lot of things. Men, we love our hunting. Ladies, now some of you ladies may take offense at this, but it is what it is. Because I've been on the creek now long enough to add five pounds to a body that didn't need five pounds. Ladies, you love cooking. And you do it well. We love families. I mean, we love all kinds of things. But how long or have we ever... Love Jesus like that. Where He was number one. Have you ever been in a room where you could sense and feel and taste and touch? It's almost like that fragrance. You see, the truth is, is that she came with her life, this flask, and she gave it to Him out of love and she broke it. And when she broke it, Poured it on his head. It was this, it was a display of not only her life and love, but it was a display of her Lord. She identified him. She anointed his head with her very life. Just a minute, I want to speak about anointing of the heart. But the truth is, I don't want you to miss this visual. She broke the flask. She poured it out on him lavishly and she anointed him as her Lord. There was no doubt who held her love. There was no doubt who held her life. And there was no doubt who was her Lord. Jesus was the object of her worship. And he had first place in her life. That's the object. What is your object when you come in here every day? If you're a little uncomfortable now, just hang on. It's going to get a little more uncomfortable. Because for the sake of time, I want to tell you about the obstacles to worship. But I'm just going to do it bullet point. Just going to do it bullet point. These are just a few, five or six, that blocks our worship. You know what an obstacle is. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to preach it. I just want to put it up here. And some of you are going to go, well, I've never heard of that, Brother Jerry. That's why you're hearing of it today, okay? First of all, the truth is, uh, let me just say, these are myths and misunderstandings about worship. 
But you see the first one there, it says public worship has little relationship to private worship. For too many years we've not talked about private worship. But may I, want to, may I say this to you, if you want your public worship to, to have a real spiritual dimension, if we want our public worship in this church body to have a spiritual dimension, you need to know it's tied to what we do in private. Second that I see is that worship is all about music. <laughs> do you know that the song that we sang, my bad, if you didn't know we're coming back to the heart of worship, that song we sang came out of a church that began to make music its God. They had incredible musicians. And the pastor stepped up one day and said, you guys are not worshiping with the music. You are worshiping the music. And guess what? It's gone today. Can you imagine to have Matt Redman as your worship leader and you couldn't do any music? One of the foremost of worship music writers. And they went without music for a while. He said, we just got to find other ways to worship God. Have you ever thought about that? And we can worship through music, but I just want to tell you something. The young people can sing songs they like and not worship through it. The old people can sing the hymns that they like and not worship through it. It's not just about music. And I said I wasn't going to preach, so let's move forward. Some people have said worship doesn't really, excuse me, there's no relationship between worship and obedience. And have that on mind. But it's true. Can I just say this to you today? If you can leave out of here and be disobedient, you didn't worship today. He didn't do anything in your heart. He didn't touch you. Move it forward there, Todd. Let's move on. I wanted to get through this quick. Worship is all about my personal experience. Sad to say, too many people only know what worship is from what they've done in the past, not what the Bible says. And I have to say this to you. I've been a song director. And I said a song director, not a worship leader, not even a minister of music. A song director. And all I did was direct songs. People sang to the top of their lungs because they loved the songs. But I look back on those experiences and they, and they never, it never was about him, it was about us. Worship is about him. Go ahead, Todd. Worship is, is unemotional and unexpressive. Really. Show me people in this book that came face to face with the Lord in a worship experience and had no emotion and no expression. Can I just tell you what happened? I'll tell you, shortly after I left this church in the 70s, I watched it firsthand. Pentecostals were, were exploding. And so Baptists decided to extract all the emotion and all the expression from worship. And about killed it. We got so uh, sanctified that we fossilized. There are people in this room. There are people in this room. There are people in this room who have said to me, Preacher, I know where you're trying to lead us. And boy, I would like to raise my hands, but I'm afraid what everybody will say. I'm afraid I'll interrupt service. I, I want to clap my hands, but I'm afraid what people will think. You know, folks, I don't care whether you raise your hands, sit on your hands, or clap your hands as long as you worship. But what I'm telling you is your pastor, everybody needs to have the freedom to worship in the way God speaks into their heart. That'll take a while to sink in, won't it? You see, worship is emotional. 
a worship is expressive. I think there's one more there, Todd. Worship, this is a myth, worship does not demand a response. Again, how do you get that from this? The obstacles. Let's move to the third. When I look at this lady, I see the object of her worship. I sense the obstacles of worship. But this is where the water meets the wheel. If you've not listened up to now, please listen. The operation of our worship. Now, Brother Jerry's going to tell us how we're supposed to put the order of service together. Let me shock some of us. There are no orders of service in this book. There are none. There are some things that happen in worship. Honestly, most of the time we don't really uh, cotton to them. Most of the time, uh, as I read this book, they're shouting, they're shouting, they're raising their hands, they're on their face, they're on their feet. Some people thought that the um, that the youth explosion in worship was just a passing fad, but I think it's a fulfillment of Scripture that in the last days the generation will lead them in worship. My kids, who are our, our teenagers, began to lead the way because they said, you know, if God is really God, and he is really on his throne, then we just don't need to sit idly by and do nothing. We need to encounter him with our emotion, with all that we are, with who we are. I want you to consider a couple of things as we think about the guides from the Bible. Two or three things. First of all, worship is the atmosphere of heaven. <laughs> worship, you know, I'm sorry. I'm getting a big investment in heaven, folks. Past ten years, said goodbye to both of my in-laws, mom and dad-in-law. Well, brother-in-law, my mom and dad, with the pandemic, friends that went on too soon, most recently Junior, I'm getting an investment over there. When you invest somewhere, Steve, you want to be there. But here's what I want to tell you about the atmosphere of heaven. It's all about worship. Every glimpse that we're given in the Bible into heaven is about worship. You look at Revelation chapter 4. You know what they do? They, they're there and they say or they sing. You can uh, co-translate that word. And they say things like, Worthy, worthy are you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. They say that continuously. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power. You know what going to, heaven's going to be? One big worship service. Forever. And for those who are too, are, are really unkind, and want to use terms like 
7-Elevens. Verse 9 through 11 says they sing forever. Holy, excuse me, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Seven times, seven words, and they sing it for all eternity. Some of us may not be comfortable in heaven. If we're not comfortable praising him with all we are all the time, will we be comfortable in heaven where they never cease to say, never cease to sing, never cease to sing? If you look at chapter 5 of Revelation, they carry it a step further. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and power and blessing. It's going to be about Jesus. I used to tease Preachers, when I was in music, I would tell my pastor, I'd go, you better get it all in down here, because up there it's all singing. That may be true, it may be not, but it's all worship. You see, when you step into heaven, everyone's worshiping. It is the most natural thing to do. The environment is electric. The environment is powerful. Have you ever thought about it, how powerful an environment is? Have you ever thought about it? People have gotten caught up in mobs and done stuff that they would never do because of the environment. That's both good and bad. Whatever the crowd's doing kind of drags you along. Boy, when a church service... When a church service takes on the atmosphere of heaven, powerful things happen. In that moment, one of the things as a worship leader that I saw or after my early years of training as a worship leader is I always strive for that one moment in our corporate time where people would go, that one moment you see, it's in that moment that we don't care what we're seeing. It's in that moment we don't care where we're sitting. In that moment, we don't care what people are wearing. In that moment, we don't care where I had to park. It is in that moment that our hearts are touched and our lives are impacted. In that moment, heaven comes down because we've touched the very hem of his garment. not only the atmosphere of heaven, but listen. The operation of worship is the anointing of the heart. When she broke the bottle, she put it over his head and and anointed him. Anointing was a practice that that was common back then. Common among the Jews. You you anointed things for for sacred use. You anoint anoint kings, you would anoint prophets, you would anoint vessels, you would anoint buildings. It's also a sign of hospitality. It was also a, a way of refreshing oneself, and it's practiced still in Arabia today. But you know what else? They would anoint the, the, the shield of a soldier so that, that leather would stay pliable and would not crack or break. You marry all those concepts together 
And you come to understand that the anointing oil of the Scripture for us today is the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. When you understand that, things become clear. When she anointed Jesus with her, her life and her love and as her Lord, she gave him full devotion. And Jesus responded by sending the Holy Spirit in her life. And he said, huh, she has done a beautiful thing. If Jesus were to appear in this room right now, I ask the question, would he look at any of us, pastor included, would he look at any of us and say, you have done a beautiful thing to me because you've given me your life, you've given me your love, you've given me your heart. There are those who tell us that Jesus will take our heart. Except for Saul of Tarsus, I don't find that in Scripture. It seems to me that Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and then he invites us to give our hearts. But make no mistake, if we're going to be his, if we're going to worship him, it requires our heart. At his invitation, we need to bring him our heart. The old hymn says this, Time is now fleeting, moments are passing. Passing for you and for me. But I feel I would sell this scripture short if I didn't point out this that neither Matthew or Mark list this lady's name. They don't give the name. I want you to think about it. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is is shared, what she has done will be told. And they don't give her name. You know why that is? I don't have, guess I'm, I know the real reason, but I can tell you why I'm guessing. Because since she's nameless, she can be you. She can be me. The truth is, when we worship like she did, our lives will be changed like hers was. And guess what? That changes the game. That changes the dimension. That changes the flavor. That changes the future. Worship is the atmosphere of heaven. It's the anointing of the heart. And then I would say to you, it's the all or nothing of the soul. Oh, man. We need to hear this in the American culture. Because we have come to the place where I'll just give Jesus what I want Him to have. I'll give Jesus what I want Him to have. He'll take what I want Him to have. It's for Jesus, so He'll take whatever I give Him. Scripture doesn't bear that out. It is all or it's nothing. I'm going to go back to that picture. She did not screw the top off of that flask and pour a little bit and hang back for the rest for herself. You see, when you worship Jesus, it is everything you have. 
We have to break the bottles of our soul. We have to pour it out on Him for who He is, for what He has done. And we have to give it back to Him. She held nothing back. Huh. Don't you think about this. She gave Him all she had. He gave her all He had. Who got the better deal? And that offer is still good for us today. If we quit playing games and give it all to Him. Back in the 70s, I don't know if this is a throwback day or not, back in the 70s, Phil Johnson wrote these words. Privileged to record them in 80, but they were sung all over Christendom. Are you tired of chasing pretty rainbows? Are you tired of spinning round and round? Wrap up all the dreams of your life and at the feet of Jesus. Lay them down. Give them all, give them all, give them all to Jesus. Your shattered dreams, wounded heart, and broken toys. Give them all to Jesus and He'll turn your sorrows into joys. That brings us down to our last thought. Just to kind of wrap things up. And that is... The objective. What is the objective of our corporate worship? Coming together is all about coming together into the throne room of heaven and encountering the living Lord. If you came here with anything else on your mind today except encountering the living Lord, I suggest to you that you have sold Him short. And I'm going to give you three quick thoughts. Number one, is that the objective has one object. I've already mentioned that. Would you ask yourself this question for me? Don't ask it out loud for crying out loud. Lord, have I come to you today like this woman did? Have I come breaking my flask or did I want to just take off the top and pour a little bit on you and call that good? It's sad to say, but in 21st century America, too many people come into a corporate worship for what they can get as opposed to what they can give. He is our audience of one. What we sing, how we pray, what we do, how we preach is for Him. He's the only one. In my heart, I know this is difficult for people to hear, but worship is not really about singing your favorite song or any song. It's not about seeing your friends and family. It's not about singing or music. It's not about where you sit. It's, 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 not, it's not about having... Being so nice to be in a, a nice church with a church family. Authentic worship. Please, if you miss everything else, take this. Authentic worship is about encountering a living Lord. It's about setting your personal goal to meet with Him and bring honor to Him by your attitude, by your sacrifice, by your praise, by your Think about it. She came into that room because she had learned that he was there. And she had one thing on her mind, him. 
She knew He was the answer for her soul. Not just for salvation, but for every part of her life. Came into the room. It didn't matter what everybody else said. She had a laser-like focus on Jesus. One object. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that number two, there's one opposer. One opposer. She broke the flask, says verse uh, 3, and poured it on his head. Verse 4 starts out like this. Are you listening? There were some. There were some. There were always some. Some who opposed the life in the Spirit, who who oppose live worship, which results in pointing people to the Lord. There are always some. But every one of those some has one employer. He goes by many names in Scripture. Lucifer, tempter, the devil, We know him as Satan. When we come into this room, he doesn't want us to get a hold to God. He doesn't want us to encounter the living Lord. And you'll be surprised who he will use. I have seen him use long-time deacons. I've seen him use preachers. I've seen him use staff people. And yes, I've seen him use members. One opposer, though. And then one outcome. One outcome. The power in authentic worship is this. People remember... They will remember her, what she did, as wherever the gospel is proclaimed. I've already said this. Half-hearted, weak worship is an affront to the gospel. But there is nothing as powerful as passionate, all-in, sold-out, authentic worship. That was this woman. She came in, and she didn't care what anybody thought or said. She came to encounter Jesus. She only cared about honoring Jesus, giving to Jesus, worshiping Jesus as her life and her love and her Lord. And the impact, the result of her worship was that her heart was changed forever. We call that salvation. We could call it rededication today. She gave her all, and he gave him his all. He gave her his all. Who got the best deal? I want you to remember these words. Some of you do from an old hymn. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God 
Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the Word? Now, all is vain, all is empty, all is wasted. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Here it is. Brethren, pray. And the holy manna will be showered all around. I need to make a confession to you. The first time I typed that those words in, you, all is vain unless the Spirit, the Holy One, comes down. Brethren, I left the R out. Brethren, pay and holy manna will be showered all around. I went back and looked at it, and I go, obviously, I'm in the United States of America. Our worship begins with prayer and it ends with prayer. Our church being what he wants us to be begins with prayer and ends with prayer. Worship is such a huge part. I want to end with this this visual for you. What we have here in our worship of God is like a piggy bank. It can be a piggy, big piggy bank. Are you with me? I don't want to lose you. It's like a big piggy bank that we know that we have saved up and have a million dollars in. You know what? A million dollars in there will not benefit us at all until we break the bank open and access what's in there. That is exactly what worship is like. We have a father with cattle on a thousand hills. And he's waiting for us.